Thanks, Emily. Good morning, fellowship. Good to be with you. My name is Rob, and I want to first start off, if you could allow me just a minute or two, to express some gratitude to those of you in the room who've served in our military and our armed forces. I'm grateful for that. As, as we celebrate Veterans Day yesterday and really this whole weekend, I, I wondered if we could take a moment just to express our gratitude to you. Would you be willing to stand up if, you have, if you're a veteran, you're here this morning, would you be willing to serve so we can recognize you? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for serving. Thank you. We are very grateful. I grew up in a military family. My dad uh, was a colonel in the Air Force. His dad was in the uh, Army Air Corps in World War II and lost his life in a bomber. Uh, his dad, so my great-grandfather now, was an um, Army general in World War II. And so I've seen first close and, up close and personal the sacrifice it takes, and I'm not talking just of the ultimate sacrifice, that, that's certainly um, a, a possibility for anyone who serves in the military, but the day-to-day -day sacrifice, the ongoing sacrifice that you all have made with your service, and we are grateful. So thank you for allowing us to recognize you and appreciate you this morning. Open our Bibles now to John chapter 16. Let's, let's open our Bibles, and I kind of want to begin with a ridiculous analogy I didn't start the other service this way, but I thought, I'm going to start this way. Imagine if you could become an earthworm. And you could crawl down into the wet, moist soil of a flower bed and dwell with the other earthworms. And you could communicate with those earthworms. And imagine that you had some important things that you needed to say to these other creatures. Um, things like, the world is so much more vast than you understand. Things like, there are cities and cars and the internet. And, and there's a life out there. There's a world out there. And there's nations and politics and there's all these things that your little earthworm, earthworm brains cannot understand. Imagine how difficult it would be to communicate. And, and even if you could actually use whatever earthworm language that could possibly exist in this ridiculous analogy, how would you explain things to them that you knew their tiny little earthworm brains could not possibly fathom? How could you engage in that. This is a little bit like what it must have been for God in the flesh to explain to human beings the kingdom of God or the spiritual realm or any other number of truths that Jesus had to teach and say to his disciples. And with that analogy in mind, I want you to imagine the disciples' three-year journey of Jesus from their perspective. I want you to imagine what it would be like to be an earthworm that this other earthworm came and started speaking of things that you couldn't fathom and, but then was able to have powers and do things that you said, there's something here. He comes from a place that we do not know. And the whole time the disciples were following Jesus, they're puzzling this out. Who is this man? What is he teaching us? What does it mean for us? When they started following him, they didn't understand who he was. Now, some of them probably hoped he was Messiah. They, they, they knew the scriptures foretold of a future king, but they didn't understand what that Messiah, who that Messiah really was. They hadn't put the pieces together that the Messiah was going to be God himself. They didn't have a concept of the Trinity, of, of Father, Son, and Spirit in one. 
All they knew is that Jesus was, was a rabbi, that he was a good teacher, he spoke the words of God, and that he had these powers that the Father did through him. And he called them to follow him. So they got on this journey with him, this three-year journey, and their eyes were gradually opened. Their whole process of transformation was a slow process of coming from darkness to light, of coming from not seeing to seeing, of waking up into what true reality actually is, as Jesus is painting this picture for them and, and embodying true reality. And now I want you to think about our journey of following Jesus. It's much the same. Now, we put our faith in Jesus at the beginning, knowing more than the disciples knew at their beginning. So we have the whole story in the sense, well, up till now, the whole story up till now. We know that Jesus was going to die, that Jesus rose, that he ascended into heaven. We know the whole gospel story. We put our faith in him. We believe he's actually not just a person who did amazing things and taught amazing things. He's God himself who came and lived in the flesh. We know all this, but isn't our journey still sort of a gradual coming into the light of, of understanding more deeply and more deeply and more deeply who Jesus is and what he means for us? I say all that to tell you that we get to a moment in John's gospel this morning where the disciples have an aha moment. They have a light bulb moment. They have a moment of going from darkness to light. They've been following and puzzling over who is he, who is he? And here's the moment right in our text this morning where they literally say, aha, now we know. I've been praying this week as I've been preparing this message that for us this morning, there'd be a light bulb moment for us. Maybe for some in the room, like for the first time, the penny drops and you're like, aha, I, now I know who Jesus is or now I believe who Jesus is or I'd heard these things before, but, but now they really sunk in this morning through this passage. But for a lot of us, you may be already past that moment of faith, but there's another light bulb moment for you this morning. Because every week when we hear from God's word, isn't that not true? We go a little deeper. We go a little deeper. So let's go deeper this morning. I'm going to read the whole passage and then I'll come back and we'll explain it verse by verse. So this is John 16, 25 through 30. Of course, this is a part of his last supper uh, conversation with his disciples. Jesus says, starting verse 25, I've said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. And, and look, here, here's the disciples' aha moment. His disciples said, ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. This is the living word of God for us today. Let's go back to verse 25. Uh, two phrases that I want to unpack. The first is this figures of speech. This is a really important idea in this text. It doesn't mean exactly what you think it means. In English, a figure of speech is a metaphor, a simile. It's an illustration or a story, maybe a little bit like the earthworm ridiculous analogy that I started the message with. That's a figure of speech. But in the, the Greek word here that's being translated figures of speech, it, it has this idea of something that's intentionally being, being veiled. It's something that's... that's um, hidden in plain sight, something that's been buried deep down like hidden treasure that you have to dig for and, and you have to work on it until you can finally understand it. Um, 
If you've ever read the Amplified Bible, or if you're familiar with the Amplified Bible, it's, it's not so much a translation of the Bible as it is a, a tool. And so what the Amplified Bible does is it takes a single verse and it gives you a whole paragraph. And the reason it does that is it's expounding on the Greek words, giving you three or four, sometimes five English words that, that all kind of are nuanced in a single Greek word. That makes sense. One of the little nuances in the Amplified Version, instead of figures of speech, it says... I have said these things to you in dark sayings. Dark sayings. That's actually a good translation. Let me tell you why. In that ancient Near Eastern context, dark sayings, that was something that like seers would, would, would say things in dark sayings or prophets would say things in dark sayings. It's like they're speaking of realities that are so deep and difficult to understand. They're buried below the surface. In, in fact, in, in one of the Psalms, in, in, I think it's in Psalm 78, the psalmist is like, I'm about to speak to you in dark sayings. That's literally the translation that it says. And so here's what Jesus is saying. He's like, I have been sharing things with you that are hidden. I've been hiding from you, hiding them from you in plain sight. I've been speaking to you in dark sayings. I've been burying things down deep. But the hour is coming when everything will be clear and when, when I'll no longer speak to you that way. I'll get to that hours coming in a minute. Um, it was funny. I was sitting with somebody at coffee this week who, who was talking about Lloyd's message from last week. And uh, for, for those of you that, that, that were here la- or not here last week, or remind everyone if you weren't here, Lloyd did an illustration similar to this. And you know, the big idea from last week's text, Jesus said in verse 16, a little while you'll see me no longer and a little while you'll see me. And, and here's, here's where Lloyd went with it. He goes, the, the little while he's talking about, you won't see me any longer, he's gonna die, right? There's weeping, lament, sorrow, mourning, sadness, pain. And then Jesus is saying, a little, a little while more, you're gonna see me and there'll be joy and rejoicing and your joy will be made full. All this came from last week's text. Jesus was telling them something that they didn't have eyes to see yet. It was mysterious to them. It was sort of a dark saying. He was hiding it from them. They didn't understand his death and his resurrection. But where Lloyd went last week that I so appreciated was he said, you know what holds everything together? The the, the little while of sadness and weeping and the little while of joy is the cross of Jesus Christ. And Lloyd said it this way. He said, what is biblical joy? Biblical joy is the whole thing. It's it's this the weeping and the joy. It's the deep sadness that then bursts into the rejoicing and the, the complete, abundant, overflowing joy. Anyway, I was sitting with this man at coffee this week. He was talking about Lloyd's message, and he goes, Lloyd's message was deep. And I wanted to say it's because it's dark sayings, you know. But I thought that would weird the guy out, so I didn't say that. <laughs> but 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 here's where this is going. Look back at our text. The hour is coming when you'll have eyes to see. You see, the hour is coming, you'll have ears to hear. The hour is coming, let's literally look at the verse now, when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. What hour is being referred to? I think the hour being referred to in the context is the hour that the Spirit will come. Jesus has been saying over and over, I'm going to send the spirit of truth to you. 
When the Spirit comes, he will reveal to you all things. I'm going to go, and then the Spirit will come. You're better off if I go, because then the Spirit will come. And then he says, the hour is coming when I no longer speak to you in figures of speech will tell you plainly about the Father. Isn't it interesting? I think he's talking about the Spirit in the the disciples as I. He's using the the first person pronoun because it's the Spirit of Jesus. It's like, I'm going to speak to you through the Spirit, and in that hour, you're going to see these dark sayings you'll understand. Earthworms. Imagine if you could somehow get your soul essence being spirit, you know, into an earthworm. And and they knew all of a sudden then it was like, oh, oh, now I see, human. Like, now I can understand what you've been talking about. You see, I, I have a, a bit of, of, of you in me, you see. This is Jesus saying, the hour is coming when my spirit will be in you. And in that day, you'll be able to hear me plainly speak to you about the Father. Y'all, this is marvelous because this is our hour. This is our hour. The Holy Spirit indwells you. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, the scripture says the spirit indwells you. What is the, scripture, what is the spirit's role? Among other things, to enlighten your eyes, to open your eyes to what's true. And where does that come from? The scripture. So as we read and study, and as Lloyd and I teach and others teach and in fellowship groups and even in your own private study, the spirit of God who breathed out the text through the human authors it's the same spirit in you that's opening your eyes, that, that's, that's showing you things so that we can understand these things. This is why when we read the scripture, as I did earlier, we say, this is the living word of God for us today. It's not meant just for the original audience. That's the context. The spirit speaks the text to us in our day and time and teaches us and applies it to our lives. This is the marvelous truth of the doctrine of scripture. One last thing on this before we go in, or before we go on. Isn't it interesting that Jesus, again, lived at the intersection of the material and the immaterial world? If you think about it in that way, he had a body just like you and me, like actual flesh, but he's God, fully man, fully God. He lived at the intersection of the spiritual world and the immaterial world, the material world rather in the, in the immaterial world. Same with you and me if the spirit of Christ dwells us. We have human bodies. You can see me and touch me. I could see you. But if the spirit indwells you through faith in Christ, we live at the intersection of the physical and the, and the immaterial world. We live at the same place. We, it, this is marvelous. And so the spirit in us is constantly showing us things that the rest of the world can't see. And I don't mean to say that in some kind of weird, egotistical, arrogant way. I'm just trying to teach God's word faithfully. If you have eyes to see and ears to hear as you're reading and studying the scripture, you give credit to the spirit of God doing that in you. This is the living word of God for us today. Now, I love to talk about that, but I want to move on because there's some other marvelous truths in this text. Look at verse 26 and 27 with me. In that day, again, still talking about the day of the spirit will indwell the believers. You will ask in my name, And I do not say to you, I'll ask the Father on your behalf. Like those days are going to be gone. The new day is this. The Father himself loves you because you've loved me and have believed that I came from God. So Jesus is saying, in that day, you can go straight to the Father. In that day, the doors of the throne room of heaven will be flung open to you because the Father himself loves you. 
because of your association with me, the only begotten Son of God. The Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. Let's talk briefly about this phrase, you will ask in my name. We've talked before about asking in Jesus' name. Uh, it comes up over and over in John's gospel. We, we end our prayers in Jesus' name, amen. I don't know about you, I grew up saying prayers that way and I never really thought about what it actually meant. And I went through a stage where I thought it was just like a magic formula. Maybe some of us still kind of tend to think of it as a magic formula. So it's like Christmas is coming, you know, I really want something for Christmas. And I'm just like, well, mom and dad, you know, maybe they're the ones give it to me, but I think God can really give it to me. So I'm going to ask in Jesus name. You know, it's like, please, God. And then now you're older, you ask other things, right? <laughs> help my kids to be okay, in Jesus' name. You know, help, help my job not to turn south, in Jesus' name. Help, help this election to be okay, in Jesus' name. And, and, and God wants us to ask for things in Jesus' name, but what does it mean? What does it mean? In that day and time that, that Jesus was saying this, if someone would go in the name of someone else, it meant to represent them. So you can imagine if, if an emperor or a king sent an emissary or an ambassador, so I want you to go in my name. That messenger was going with all the power and the authority of the king or the emperor. So the messenger would show up in the village and say, I come on the name of the king, in the name of the king. I, I speak in the name of the king. And everybody would say, okay, we're gonna listen to this because this person is representing the king. Asking for something in Jesus' name means aligning yourself with the mission and and purpose of Jesus Christ. It means being a representative of him on this earth. It means being a Christian, a little Christ. It means, I'll put it this way, to align yourself with Jesus in such a way that your will is his will. Your mission is his mission. Your purposes are his purposes. And as best as you can, you're acting for his glory. When you move that way and talk that way and ask that way in the name of Jesus, you better believe the Father will answer those prayers. Do you see? This is what Jesus is saying. Ask in my name and the Father will give anything, essentially, if you're truly aligned with the mission and purpose and will of Jesus Christ. I like the way N.T. Wright put it. Listen to this. He said, those who go in Jesus' name, who get on with whatever work he gives them to do in his spirit and his love, are given an extraordinary status and privilege. Anyone who welcomes them welcomes Jesus. You probably won't realize it at the time. You'll be too busy thinking of the people you're with and working with and for. But as you look back, you may be startled by the joy of realizing that as you walked into that house or hospital or place of pain or sorrow or hope, Jesus was walking in, wearing your skin, speaking in your tone of voice. Isn't that a good picture of what it means to go in the name of Jesus, to ask for things in the name of Jesus, on his behalf, for his glory, aligned with his mission, aligned with his purposes? And what Jesus is saying here is, remember, in that day, which is our day, y'all, this is the day of the Spirit. You're gonna ask in my name because my Spirit will be in you. You're gonna be able to be so aligned with me that your will, my will will be your will and vice versa. He goes, I'm not even gonna say I'm gonna ask the Father on your behalf because you can go straight to him. And we'll come back to verse 27 because I think this is a marvelous truth that I want to dig in a little bit more. But let me just say one thing before I go on to verse 28. 
Sometimes we mistakenly get it in our heads that Jesus is the kind, loving one and God the Father is the distant, stern one. Jesus is is inverting that. He says, the Father himself loves you. So don't say, don't think that, oh man, I'm glad Jesus loves me because the Father is angry with me. No, no, no. You see, Martin Luther wrote about this, by the way. Um, Martin Luther said, we should believe and know that the Father is just as graciously disposed toward us as Christ, who mercifully and willingly died for us because it was the Father's will. You understand? Yes, the Son loves you. Yes, but the Father himself loves you, Jesus is saying. Such an important truth. Again, we'll come back to this. Let's go on, verse 28. Verse 28, y'all, oh my. I read it like five times and then I started seeing some things and I thought to myself, this is a power-packed verse. In this one little verse, there are four key doctrines about Christ buried in this one little verse. Let's talk about it. You look at the verbs and the verb phrases and you'll see them pop out. Number one, I came from the Father. That's the doctrine of the pre-existence of Jesus. In, in other words, he wasn't just born. Like At Christmas, Jesus did not start. He says, I came from the Father. In other words, I came from God. I was with God. I came to you from God himself. We know from Paul's writing that Jesus was there at the creation of everything. And not just there, but Jesus was the agent of creation, that that all the universe was created for him and by him and through him. So this is the doctrine of the preexistence of Jesus. I like the way Tim Keller put it. Tim Keller said, Jesus is the only human or the only person who chose to be born. Just think about that for a minute. You know, you and I had no choice in the matter. Jesus Christ pre-existed and then he chose to be born. Okay, that's the pre-existence of Christ. What's the next one? I've come into the world. This is the incarnation. God himself came into the world. Like this is the earthworm, the silly earthworm analogy. Jesus took on flesh, weak human flesh, limited flesh, a body that got sick, a body that that had pain. Jesus came into this earth as a baby who had to be fed and clothed and soothed. So this is, this is amazing doctrine. We'll talk about this more in our Advent series. And then the third one, I'm now leaving the world. This is the substitutionary death of Jesus. Think of it this way. Not only was Jesus the only person who chose to be born, He's the only person who could have chosen never to die, but he willingly chose to die. Every person in this room, there will come a time, unless Jesus comes back first, where we will die, every one of us. And y'all, ultimately we have no choice in the matter. This is, our bodies are deteriorating even now and there will come a moment where no amount of energy and effort and vitamin pills and exercise and diet is going to be able to keep your body alive. Jesus willingly chose to die. He's the only person that could have chosen never to die and instead he willingly died. Why? For us. And then number four, 
He's going to the Father. I'm going to the Father. This is the resurrection, but also the ascension. Uh-oh, this is a tough word. I think it's this. Okay. The ascension of Jesus Christ. We talked about this two weeks ago. Why is it so important that Jesus ascended to the Father? Because Scripture tells us right now he's at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. Right now he's at the right hand of the Father and, and they're speaking about us. And, 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 they're, and Jesus is saying... That one is in me. That one is in me. That one is in me. Their sins are washed away. Their sins are forgiven, you see. So in this one little verse, you've got these four doctrines of Jesus, preexistence, his incarnation, his death, his ascension. And again, these are deep truths, but for whatever reason, the penny is dropping in the lives of the disciples. The light bulb is coming on in the lives of the disciples. In the very next verse, they say, ah, now you're speaking plainly, not using dark speech, not using figurative speech. Same, same word, by the way. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. By the way, this is a brilliant moment of clarity for the disciples, but we know because we know the rest of the story, we know that they do not understand it all. If they had understood it all, they would not have been dismayed an hour or two later when he was arrested in the garden. If they'd understood it all, they would not have fled when he was put on the cross. In fact, by the end of this very night, they're going to be scattered in hiding. And so we're not going to read the next verse, but literally the next verse, Jesus starts telling them, okay, you think you believe, but you only believe certain things, and and you're about to leave me, but that's okay, I'm not totally alone because I'm with the Father, etc., But Lloyd's going to take that verse last week. I want to just pause right here and start applying this text to our lives. And for now, let's just picture the disciples in this moment of clarity, this moment of confidence. This is why we believe you came from God. They say, it all makes sense to us. We're starting to understand. And let's consider what aha moment the Spirit might have for us this morning through this text. I want to go back now to verse 27, and I want to spend the rest of the message talking about one phrase. If you mark up your Bible, which I always encourage people to do, just, just put a box around it or a circle it or put a star, you know, whatever, whatever would really make it pop out of the page for you. And, and I just want to talk about how significant this is. This is in many ways the entire life message of Jesus. In other words, this is the very reason Jesus came from the Father into the world, to communicate this. But y'all, you have to understand, it's more than just communicating. Like, it's more than just, it was already true, but now I'm telling you it's true. Jesus made it true. Now, you might be saying, what do you mean Jesus made it true? Doesn't the Father love his creation even without Jesus? Like, doesn't the Father love even the people that don't love Jesus and even the people that don't believe in Jesus? And and here's what I'd say to that. Yes, the Father loves the world. Yes, the Father loves his creation. John 3, 16. God so loved the world. The whole world is God's creation. But the kind of love that Jesus is talking about here is the love he and the Father share together. The unhindered, unadulterated, perfect union where there is no sin getting in the way. There there is no interference. There's no static. 
Jesus is saying, I no longer will go before you on the Father's behalf. I no longer going to have to be an intermediate for you in the sense that when you are in me, the Father himself loves you. Now look how he connects it. Because you've loved me and you've believed that I came from God. Jesus is saying, because of your connection to me, the love of the Father for me is now the love of the Father for you. For the Father himself loves you. This is the great truth that will set you free. This is the reward Jesus traded his life for. Think about that. Why did Jesus willingly go through death? Why did he drink the cup? Why did he do it? Why did he bear it for us? So that you and I would be in this kind of love. That we could step into unhindered love of the Father for us. That, that the great, amazing love that the, that the Trinity enjoys together, Father, Son, and Spirit, that we would be brought into that love. And that's a theme all throughout the Last Supper discourse. Jesus is saying, here's this day is coming. My spirit's gonna be in you because of your faith in me. The Father himself, his love is gonna so, so just indwell you that it will be unhindered. And all this is true. All this is right here in our text. And all this is this little buried nugget that the more you have eyes to see and the more you actually believe this, the more you'll be transformed by it. Um, some of y'all know the movie Inception. It's such an interesting movie. It's about this team of people that have figured out a way to like go into people's dreams. And, and they use this, uh, like, like literally, like when they're sleeping, they enter into their dreams subconsciously and they interact with them. And they use this ability to steal secrets, you know, that, that people don't want to share, like, you know, business secrets. And then they sell those to other companies that make a lot of money. And the whole idea of Inception is, what if instead of stealing something from someone's brain, they could implant something in someone's brain? What if they could implant a, a simple, single idea that would transform someone's life and decisions? I think that's what this phrase can be. A single, simple idea that once it gets planted in you, takes root and starts to grow and starts to transform you. The Father himself loves you. And here's the thing, to a certain degree, the world will tell you that. They'll be like, you're okay as you are. Everything's good. Like, if there is a God, he loves you. He's a loving God. Listen, the Father himself loves you. That's true, not just because it's a nice idea. It's true because Jesus paid for it. It's true because Jesus earned it. It's true because Jesus obeyed the Father even to the point of death. And Jesus is saying, because you've loved me and have believed that I came from God, in other words, because you're with me, because you're connected to me, you're in the Father's love in this amazing, remarkable way. And, and you all, it's, it's much better news that you're in the Father's love because you're in Christ. It's much better news than the Father just loves you apart from Christ as his creation, because here's why. The Father's love for the Son is unbreakable. The Father's love for the Son is perfect. The Father's love for the Son is whole. And the message of Jesus here is, you didn't earn it, therefore you can't lose it. 
The Father himself loves you because you've loved me. You've believed that I come from God. He's talking about the past tense. He's like, you're in. You're in me. You're one of mine. You're in. Best illustration I can think of to help you understand this uh, is one I've used before in our, our um, discipleship intensive. I don't think I've used it in this context. Um, it's another silly analogy, but imagine that, that God the Father had a refrigerator. And if God the Father had a refrigerator, whose picture would be on the refrigerator? Like, think, think theologically, okay? Whose picture would be on the refrigerator? That's the right answer. Jesus, right? Jesus. If God the Father had a fridge, Jesus' picture would be on the fridge, okay? So here's a picture of Jesus on the fridge. Uh, not too fancy, but imagine it's a black fridge, okay? Uh, now, when God the Father looks at the Son, what does he see? He sees perfect obedience, perfect righteousness, perfect humility, perfect justice, perfect strength, perfect gentleness, perfect love. Now look closer. Look closer. When God the Father looks at his son, what does he see? He sees all of us who are in Christ. And therefore, he sees perfect obedience, perfect righteousness, perfect justice, perfect mercy. You see, it's not about us. It's about him. And we're in him. Jesus says, the Father himself loves you. And, and he's sort of saying, and I know the love of the Father. And you don't want to miss out on the love of the Father. And how do you get the love of the Father? Well, you love Jesus and you believe that he came from God. In other words, you connect yourself to Jesus Christ. You connect yourself to Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you guys, once you get this, once you understand this idea, it frees you up. Because you can no more lose the love of the Father than a pixel could jump off of that image and come down and plop on the floor. Do you understand that? It's not about you. It's about him. And through faith in him, we have the full, unhindered love of the Father in heaven. And that takes us to the Lord's Supper this morning. So let's take out our communion elements. And I hope this morning with that simple Phrase in mind, the Father himself loves you. I hope it allows you this morning to partake of communion with us in a new and, and, and more mindful way. I hope your eyes are opened to the, the beauty of this that, that we're about to do. And I, I want to say to some of you, you're not in Christ. You're not in Christ. And here, here's what the scripture would tell you. Yes, the Father loves you as his creation. For God so loved the world and God loved the world so much that he sent his son so that whosoever believes in him wouldn't perish but have eternal life. Whosoever believes in him would have the everlasting unhindered love of the father. And, and I would just say to you this morning that you are welcome to this table if you put your trust in Jesus Christ. Maybe this morning is the aha moment for you where the, the veils come off your eyes and you say, I see, I believe. It's not about me. I'm gonna put my trust in Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection for me. I would welcome you at this table this morning. And for all of us, you all, I'm telling you, I know most in the room, this is not the first time that you've heard the gospel and believed the gospel, but I'm telling you, this is what will transform you. This is not just the ABCs of the Christian life. It's the A through Z of the Christian life. The, the simple message of the gospel. It's, it's everything. The Father himself loves you because of 
your connection to Jesus Christ. And this is the body of Christ represented in this. And we remember that his body was broken for us and we eat with gratitude. Same with the cup. If you are in Christ through faith in him, drink the cup, the blood of Jesus shed for you. When God reveals things to us through his word, he invites us to respond. We respond through faith. We respond through obedience. And we respond through worship. And so we're going to worship this morning. I want to invite you to stand to your feet as we sing this song together.